0: Good morning. What a good day. Of course, to be together. I want to talk to you this morning. Wait a minute, let me back up. I have to tell you what happened at work the other day. I'm going to pull this from my chronicles of spending time with the elderly. (laughs) Do you remember the last time that I was up here and I talked about the lady who basically said the food's been horrible since you've been here? She goosed me the other day in the hall. Yes. Yes. We do this thing called a test tray, okay? We check the temperature of the food while it's in the kitchen. When it goes out to the main floor, I'll go out, I'll check the temperature just to make sure that it's suitable to serve the residents. Sitting there, and checking the temper and or the temperature on this food, and yes, I feel a pinch on my backside, I look down, and there's this little sweet old lady in her wheelchair giggling. (laughs) And I say, what are you doing? And as she continues to giggle for a few minutes, she says, can I have some ice cream? (laughs) Yes, come on. Wait a minute, you probably need to go first. I'll follow you to the kitchen. (laughs) Listen, I'm being accepted into the clan of the elderly, and I love it. As we talk about being accepted into a clan, we're going to talk about church membership today, but I seriously want to talk about it in the framework of the local church as a culture. Cultures influence. That's what they do whether we're perceptive to that or not, I pray that we are, I'm sure most of us are, whether we can appreciate that or not, and in some contexts we can. But cultures influence and they contribute to human development in a multitude of ways. Alexander the Great, he Hellenized the non-Greeks that he conquered. Okay, so the Greeks were known as the Hellenes. so for him to Hellenize non-greeks simply meant for him to impart the greek culture into their culture with the intention of it taking over you see he didn't hellenize non-greeks through whips chains different forms of slavery or oppression he did it simply by introducing the greek language he did it by establishing greek culture centers in in and all throughout his kingdom and teaching Greek philosophy, art, religion, different things. He did it by bringing non-Greeks in and integrating them into his military. He did that by encouraging Greek soldiers to marry foreign women with the whole intention of blurring that line between those who were being conquered and those who were doing the conquering. He used culture to establish unity. The Greek philosopher Plato noted the power of a culture to overtake an individual and he stated that there probably is no individual that can prove incapable of residing in a culture and not being, and not be overtaken by that culture in the way that they live and think and their conduct and their attitude. And he stated that even their very perceptions would begin to mirror those of the surrounding culture. And he made the following plea when he said this. Because of that idea, he said we must then compel our poets on pain of expulsion to make their poetry the express image of noble character. We must also supervise craftsmen of every kind and forbid them to leave the stamp of baseness, unrestraint, meanness, unseemliness, on painting and sculpture or building. We would not have our guardians grow up among representations of moral deformity as in some foul pasture where, day after day, feeding on every poisonous weed they would, little by little gather insensibly a mass of corruption in their very souls. Rather, we must seek out those craftsmen whose instincts guides them to whatever is lovely and gracious, so that our young men, dwelling in a wholesome climate, may drink in good from every quarter whence like a breeze bearing health from happy regions, some influence from noble works constantly falls upon eye and ear from childhood upward and imperceptibly draws them into sympathy and harmony, harmony with the beauty of reason whose impress they take. And I think what he could possibly be saying is, listen, regardless of what the cost may be, and it may require effort, time, work, labor, we must strive to establish a culture, even if that is a culture within a culture, but an atmosphere by which the influence is intentional, structured, specific, and the message is quite clear, and the message is quite guarded. And beloved, I want to suggest this morning that Jesus Christ, has established the church as that culture if we're going to stay true to the definition of what a culture is, which is defined as follows. The attitudes, feelings, values, and behavior that characterize and inform society as a whole or any social group within a society. So my suggestion this morning is going to be that the church becoming a culture or the church becoming our culture is going to hinge on our view of church membership. And I want to try to present three thoughts. The first one is this. Church membership promotes a culture of joyful submission. Secondly, church membership promotes a culture of willing commitment. And thirdly, church membership promotes a culture of operating grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today in a state of great celebration. As we reflect God on who you are and who we are and what you've done for us. As you have given us the great and grand opportunity of being Your hands and Your feet. Your work through this beautiful thing called a local church, God. Father, I do believe that this morning You may want to speak to us. That God, You would want to challenge us. That God, You may want to challenge our individualism this morning. You may want to challenge our thoughts about ourselves and community others above and beyond us so lord our greatest cry this morning is that father you would speak to your people about this beautiful thing called community commitment to this thing called community so lord we pray this morning that you would have your way and that you would do that by grace we pray this in jesus name amen So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about church membership and how it promotes a culture of submission. I stated that cultures influence. But I think it's very important to note that the reason that a culture influences a person or a group of people is because people submit to that influence. That's why Jesus Christ has not established the church as something that we simply join. But Jesus Christ has established the church as something that we all necessarily submit to. When I lived in Franklin, West Virginia, when we lived in Franklin, West Virginia, I didn't live there by myself. When we lived in Franklin, West Virginia, because of my background in the military, I was asked to join an organization known as the American Legion. And it's simply an organization that reaches out to veterans and their survivors, their families. Now, one of the things that is priority for me being a part of that organization, as a matter of fact, I think it's the only prerequisite. I simply write a monthly check. They do not care about my behavior. They do not care about the condition of my heart. They do not care about my internal disposition whatsoever. They simply care that they receive a monthly check. As a matter of fact, I can't recall one time that I received a letter from the American Legion that said, hey, how are you? What's your heart condition like? How are you and your family in Christ? But what I do know is that in the stack of bills that I probably have on my desk, I'm pretty sure there's a letter in there that says, dude, your dues are way overdue right now. The point being... That is why the church is something that is not joined like any type of organization. It is a commitment to follow the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of community with a very specific goal that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in community. It states our mission that we would be followers of Christ and that we would duplicate being followers of Christ. And that demands some things. It demands submission. It demands submission in community to the point that church life and the influence of church life would become, as it continues to be imparted into our lives and into our families, church life would become our cultural identity. The Apostle Paul made the statement in Ephesians 5.21, but before I even pull out that statement. I want to stop right here and I want to identify who it is that he's talking to. Who is the Apostle Paul talking to in the letter to the Ephesians? Who's he talking to when he writes to the Philippians? Who's he talking to when he writes to the Corinthians? He's talking to, well, obviously the church, but let's pick that apart a little bit because there are times that I believe we could possibly be struck with the temptation to think that upon my salvation... And upon my induction to the church global, or the church universal, that could possibly be commitment enough. But I want to assure you this morning, beloved, that the Bible makes it explicitly clear to be a part of the body means to be a part of a body. Let me repeat that. To be a part of the body, the church universal means to be a part of a body A church local. Douglas Miller states, in the New Testament, there is no such a person as a Christian who is not a church member. Conversion was described as the Lord adding to the church. There was no spiritual drifting. Wayne Mack states, scripture speaks very clearly to the fact that identification with God's people in a formal, public way was considered essential in New Testament times. A careful study of the New Testament doesn't reveal even a hint of any believer who was truly saved, but not a part of a local church. Listen, beloved, Paul is writing to the church Paul is not writing to the church invisible. Paul is not writing to the church universal. How could he? How could they know what he was saying? How could he know where they were? In Revelation 2, Jesus is not speaking to the church universal. He's not speaking to the church global. Paul is writing to and Christ is speaking to the church local, a visible group of people who have come together in covenant community and have determined to submit to Christ, to submit to each other, and submit to church leadership. Paul speaks to them, writes to them. Jesus speaks to them because, listen, they are the ones who can hear the instruction from the Lord. They are the ones who can hear and more faithfully respond to the each other verses that pepper the word of God and create a deeper, more intimate community known as the local church. For example, Romans 12, 10, which says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Ephesians four thirty two, which says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. 1 Peter 3-8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. 1 Corinthians one 10, I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind God has established that conformity to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would take place in a culture known as as the local church, and it cannot and sadly will not happen outside of that. Ephesians 5.1, let's go back there. Paul is encouraging the church on how they're to live among each other as they are to be a spirit-filled people. And he says to them, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. The author of Hebrews says in 13.7, Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about joyful submission. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your very souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Greek word for for submit is a military term, and it means to place under someone. And I want you to note in the Word of God that any time the instruction is to submit, it is always for the good of that person who is doing the submitting. Children will grow into maturity as they submit to their parents. Wives will grow more in holiness and blamelessness as they submit to their husbands. Church members members will grow in godliness as they submit to one another. The church will promote a sense of unity as they submit to the church leadership. Even as citizens of the United States of America, we will grow in godliness as we submit to the law's of our land. There is a general submission that applies to us just because we're citizens, just because we're employees, just because we have a driver's license. The moment I get into my car and I put it in drive and I get on the road, there's a sign there that reminds me that I am now submissive to a law that tells me how fast I can go. But for the born again believer. Desiring the church to be our cultural influence, submission is an identification with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who submitted himself to the Father for the sake of others as ultimately realized in the cross. The Bible says that even after all of his enemies are subdued. We're told about him in first Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. When we look to the person of Jesus Christ and we see His submission, we see dignity in that submission, don't we? I wonder why it is sometimes that when we take into account our own submission, we don't see the dignity that God's designed it to be, but at times it sometimes seems as if it can be a dread. And I encourage us, beloved, to determine what our struggle really is when it comes to submitting to one another. Is our struggle a biblical struggle with submission, or is our struggle a struggle with an American mindset of submission? Is our struggle the imposition? I don't know what the Word of God says. I want to know. I just don't know what my obligation is in relation to submitting to these people. But I want to know, or is the imposition, man, I need my space. Do not crowd my space. And I want to encourage you to find that out because this idea of submitting to one another, I want you to know, is completely countercultural. And it rises up against our nature in every facet. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And he doesn't stop there because he does, he just doesn't lob out the instructions, and say, okay, go do it, go figure it out. He tells us how young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. How? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It is not in my nature to be submissive. Yes, I know. Neither is it in mine. And that is exactly why we need each other to build a culture of submission. That's exactly why. If we, if we struggle with it in the context of a local church, It's probably going to imagine the struggle and the strain outside of a local church. Church membership also promotes a culture of willing commitment. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me if you will. I want us to look at a couple of passages together. Church membership promotes a culture of willing commitment. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. As I was rereading this passage this past week, I just, I have so overlooked the beauty of the content of this passage in the past. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the same. How beautiful is that, that Paul's going around, there's a collection being taken up for the, po- the poor and the poverty-stricken in Jerusalem. And you have these churches that are poverty-stricken themselves, and they are saying, for the sake of my commitment to the people of God, in our poverty, we will give. In our po- poverty, we are going to give. Do not deny us the gift of, Of being committed to the people of God in the midst of our condition. And then Paul goes on to say in verse five of chapter eight. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. I want you to simply notice the two types of Christian commitment that the apostle highlight the apostle Paul highlights, listen. Among the visible churches of Macedonia. Of course, first it's a commitment to the Lord. But that commitment to the Lord is such that it develops a sense of commitment to the people of God. And it develops a responsibility for the people of God. As if Paul would say, I am under obligation to the people of God. You know, man, I reflect back on the churches that myself and my family have been a part of in the past. And most of those churches, if they've been churches that we've been members of, for the most part, we've taken membership and we've done so without any type of expectations placed on us. That's why when we talk about membership here at Providence Bible Church, it's going to take place today in the form of a covenant. Because we don't want to just say that becoming a part of a church consists of rights and privileges, although it does, and they are abundant, and they are life-changing, and they are all vast measures of God's grace, but we believe that being a member of church consists so much more of experiencing the rights and the privileges. We want to say that being a member of Providence Bible Church, it consists of expectations, It consists of obligations. It consists of commitments to one another that we would live out the Christian life in community and those commitments would be first to the Lord and then, according to the will of God, they would overflow onto each other. The word covenant, it means a formal agreement, simply put, a solemn promise or a public commitment. It means a little bit more than just being committed. A family can say we're committed by attending church regularly, but to formally enter into a covenant commitment with a group of people, we publicly affirm our loyalty to Christ. We publicly affirm our loyalty to each other to help each other carry out the biblical responsibilities as members of a local body known as Providence Bible Church. God help us. God extend grace to us. John Piper says it is fitting for local churches to be formed as covenant communities, assemblies that covenant to be the church for each other. Christ has created us by a covenant to be his people, not just individuals, but a people, a body, a bride for himself. To fulfill that covenant calling demands that we form assemblies called churches, visible churches. Which in some way, in some way, ours is going to be through the form of signing. But in some way, make a covenant together to be the body of Christ for each other, for the world, for the glory of God. I'm excited about that. Matt Chandler asks... And bear with me. Where are the days of duty and promise, pledges and vows, oaths and formal agreements? Contemporary Western cultures are enthralled by choice and committed primarily to preserving the freedom to withdraw. Move on. Reconsider and renegotiate. We are faithful to our spouses until fidelity is uncomfortable and inconvenient. We are loyal to our employers until we get a better offer. Ours is a culture committed to consumerism, and if Christians are not careful, even our churches will be nothing more than a semi-sanctified microcosm of the surrounding world. We attend when we want. We are accountable to the degree we want. We submit to whom we want and only when we want and give only what is convenient, he goes on to say. Even a casual reading of Scripture reveals that the commitment of believers to one another is anything but casual. In both descriptive and and prescriptive language, the Bible attests to the formal and profound relationship that exists among those who have been reconciled to God and each other. Listen, the Scripture calls us to love one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to live in harmony with one another, to instruct, greet, comfort, serve, bear the burdens of, forgive, encourage, always seek to do good to, exhort, stir up to love and good works, confess your sins to pray for and show hostility to one another. There's that theme again. Believers may pursue these obligations to each other through many avenues, but the primary way in which we are to fulfill them is within the fold of this messy and beautiful reality called the local church and i don't know that any of us would deny that it's beautiful or messy which leads us quite well into the last idea church membership promotes a culture of operating grace please turn your bibles to 1 corinthians chapter 12 <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read verse 14 through 27. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members The Apostle Paul is quite a theological man, but he speaks in language to the point that we can easily get it. And if we are not careful, even though we know that we can be as different as an eye is from a foot, we are different in gifting, we are different in distinction, but we desperately, and I believe that ultimately this is what Paul is saying, even though we can be as different as an ear is from an eye, the reality is we desperately need each other and the apostle Paul I want to assure you in this body analogy here he is talking about a local body he's talked in the past about a head that Christ is where Christ is the head of but here he's talking about a head with an eye and an ear that has members that are attached to it this is a local body analogy and Paul wants us to be certain that when we look around and we're bombarded with the temptation to say our differences are ever before us, He wants us to remember this thing called grace. Because we can easily do that. We can easily look around us as these two different beautiful bodies have come together, and we can say, man, we are so different. But I want you to notice that the grace that he's talking about, it's grace to give. It's grace to respond. It's grace to extend to others. Grace to give to the body in the midst of diversity. It's a proactive form of grace. If I'm tempted to say, if any of us would be ever tempted to say, I'm not needed here. Or I'm not as important as someone else here. Or that person is not as important as other people. Or that person's conviction. Or that person's opinion. Or that person's mindset. As long as it's not a sin issue. The moment that we say that, the moment we forfeit the ability to know the diversity that resides in the body of Christ. And Paul doesn't say, change your thinking. Paul says, no, I want you to act. Don't change your thinking about the interdependence of the body. Don't change your thinking about the diversity that resides in the body. Don't think that everyone needs to be the same. Highlight that diversity and mark that diversity by showing love. Mark that diversity by serving each other. Mark that diversity by being humble before one another and saying, there is so much I can learn from you. Would you please show me what God is showing you and please allow me the honor of doing the same. You see, God wants us to receive that same grace that He calls us to give. He wants us to receive grace from each other in the midst of diversity. So that we would be a people that would come together and say, listen, I so want to share in the ministry of this church. I want to receive from you what God is showing you, whatever that may be. And I too want to show you what it is that God's doing in me, what it is that God's showing me. It's a grace that receives in saying, I realize that I am not self-sufficient. I realize that I cannot live this thing called The Christian Life on My Own. Would you please be a measure of grace in my life and pray for me and encourage me and impart into my life? Would you be a witness to my life by being the example in your life as I seek to do the same? Would you love me enough to hold me accountable for the way that I'm living, the way that I'm serving my family, the way that I'm leading my family, the way that I'm Living my life, would you hold me accountable? Would you challenge me when you see me begin to stumble? Would you caution me when you seeing me stray from the body of Christ that I would more faithfully serve the Lord? Would you show your love for the Lord by serving me and helping me and helping my family create a culture through the life of the church? Would you, would you allow me to give grace to you? And would you please extend rest back into my life? That's the purpose of covenant commitment. Donald Whitney stated in closing, as wonderful and sophisticated as the heart is, it was never made to just be a heart, but a part of a body. It has no value to the body outside the body. And the heart itself it can't thrive outside the body. As incredible and wonderful as you are, Christian, you were never made just to be an individual Christian, but a part of the body. As every organ and every cell is God created to be an active member of the human body, so every true Christian is God created to be an active member of a local body of Christ when you join a church and you know over the last several weeks I believe Andrew made one of the most relevant statements that's been made up here when he said listen you must join a local church you must whether it be this one is a little bit optional we pray that it's not as a matter of fact we're contemplating holding people hostage but you must join a local church. You must. You must. He goes on to say, when you join a church, you make it visible. You give a living demonstration of the spiritual reality of the body of Christ. You show that even though you are an individual, you are a part of the body and that you are joined together With others, you take the body of Christ out of the realm of the theoretical and give it a meaning that people can see. That's the purpose of covenant commitment to a local body. Now, I'm pretty excited about that.